This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Hello, listeners. I know that you love listening to podcasts, and I'm sure you love it when your nonprofit grows. But do you always know how to get the funding you need to grow your nonprofit? Well, be sure to check out our friends over at the podcast, Grant Writing and Funding, to find out how to grow funding for your nonprofit. Again, just look up Grant Writing and Funding Podcast on your podcast player to increase your grant writing skills and learn how to run a successful grant writing business. You can also check out a free grant writing class at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's so great to have you tune in again today. I love the fact that so many of you are listening in every week. And I'm hopeful that this podcast continues to be super helpful and really practical for you because I believe you want to make your world better. You want to be a better leader. You want to make your nonprofit organization better. And I'm so glad. And I'm glad to be on the journey with you and continue to hope that this, again, podcast is making a difference and helping you out in that pursuit. And this topic we're talking about today is right up that same theme of trying to be a better leader and and make your organization better. In fact, the context of having this topic today really comes out of uh, many conversations with high-profile nonprofit leaders, consultants, who are all telling me that we are living in a time post-COVID where the management challenges are at an all-time high. I mean, the combination of advancements in technology, economic uncertainty, the volatility of the marketplace, of course, all have put unique pressure on nonprofit leaders. In fact, maybe you're a nonprofit leader listening right now and you're on your treadmill or maybe you're riding on your bike or or, or you're commuting to work and you're thinking every week you're facing a new crisis in your organization. And these crises are becoming more complex. I feel your pain. I'm right there with you. Now, you may be surprised to learn that a, a recent 2022 study by IBM, here's what they found. They pointed out in the study that managing disruption is the top concern for all CEOs today. Isn't that interesting? Managing disruption. Well, my guest today is an expert in crisis management. My guest is Paul Falcone. He is the principal of Paul Falcone Workplace Leadership Consulting, and he specializes in management and leadership training, executive coaching, and HR advisory services. And he is the former CHRO of Nickelodeon. So he's got lots of experience. And this conversation today with Paul is really practical. In fact, I think you're going to listen to this podcast and you can literally take the ideas that Paul gives you today and go to your team tomorrow and have a meeting and start implementing some of the things that Paul gives to us. So again, thanks for tuning in. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. And now on to my interview with Paul. Well, Paul, excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Rob. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you bet. Well, there's no doubt that technological advancements, globalization, economic fluctuations, and shifts in demographics have all together created this environment we're living in where business as usual really is no longer sufficient. In fact, a recent 2022 study by IBM, they mentioned that managing disruption 
emerged as the top concern for CEOs, which clearly highlights the urgency for effective crisis management skills. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Paul, again, so glad you can talk about this. This is something you're really specializing in. So maybe to start out, give us a quick 30,000-foot level of what you're seeing as the biggest challenges facing nonprofit leaders specifically when it comes to growing one's management skills. Yeah, you know, Rob, it's a good question. There's so many things out there, and they all seem to be hitting at the same time. I mean, we're all kind of getting over this pandemic. We're, we're in this like post-pandemic reintegration phase, which is hard enough because we still have supply chain problems, talent problems. Where do you find the people? We're still coming out of the way. Does it do, do we work on site? Do we work remote? Do, are we hybrid? And then you look at everything else. You've got, to me, this idea of this global warming. People are worried about that. There's the politics. Oops, what's going on with that? Oh, wait, we've got border crises going on. My company might be being bought out. I don't know. We were just dying for people six months ago, and now we're laying off people by the thousands. It's become like this schizophrenic back and forth, and I think people are exhausted. And primarily, my target audience for my writing and my training and my consulting has always been management. And it's like a lot of times people feel like they're alone in this, and you have to be there to have their backs because when they've got that self-confidence and when they've got that Jiminy Cricket you know, voice on their shoulder, kind of sharing some wisdom with them, they tend to feel better about what they're doing. But the expression that I hear is we're building the plane while we're flying it. And people are exhausted. Their their wires are exposed. They're tired. They're it's just a difficult time right now. And and realistically it will be for a little bit. It's going to take some time to come out of this pandemic craziness that really upsets so many Apple carts, but we've got so many other things happening at the same time, including the launch of artificial intelligence and chat GPT, which is overwhelming people and scaring them too. So this is our reality today. And it's it's special. I like that it's special. That's a good way, a good possibility to look at that. Well, one of the things that we've ta- I've talked about with other guests before is this issue of resiliency. And certainly building resiliency is so important for leaders today, especially in all in light of all the barriers and challenges we just talked about. But I would like you to answer the question, how do leaders actually build resiliency? Like, what does that look like practically? Yeah, okay. So I go back to the basics, Rob. I try and keep things as simple as I can. We've lost the ability as society to sit around the campfire and have elders pass wisdom down to the younger generation. We're too busy. We're looking at our iPhones, blah, blah, blah. And where the leadership, leadership needs to calm the room. It needs to, to quote you for a few minutes, take people to the 30,000 foot view, help them gain a broader perspective because they get lost in the weeds. And there's so much coming at us in the weeds. You know, what is the topic? Well, if the topic is, uh, you know, these CEO surveys are saying the same thing. They want agility. They want adaptability. They want the ability to deal effectively with change because it's hitting companies all so quickly. Where does that really make its way in to the equation when you're talking about your leadership brand? We need to sit and talk about these things. As a department head, what I would do is I would sit with my team and say, everyone, adaptability, agility, the ability to incorporate change, to be flexible. How is that working for us? How are we doing? Where would we grade ourselves on a scale of one to 10? 10 being the best, one being the worst. What would you say we are? And the team says, probably a seven. And I'm like, okay. I get it. Why are we a seven? So we could talk about that. And then the question would be, well, what would make us an eight? Um, What's that incremental difference? And how can we apply it to things that we're working on now? A lot of this stuff to me, Rob, is like building muscle. You've got to get people used to talking about this and really applying it to their day-to-day. Otherwise, you get people who 
kind of foxhole themselves. They're resistant to change. That's kind of natural, but at the same time, it doesn't work anymore in nonprofit environments, for-profit environments, international environments, or anything else. Well, it's so interesting you say that. And you talk a lot about proactively getting ahead of problems and anticipating solutions, really, to these problems so that a leader can successfully navigate around them more effectively. So when it comes to a leader developing their ability to get ahead of these problems, how do they do that? What's the skill set that helps them think more proactively? It all comes down to leadership communication, plain and simple. The the truth of the matter is, what I see, Rob, is the path of least resistance is avoidance, right? Managers look the other way. They sweep things under the rug. They don't want to deal with them. They hope that they fix themselves. But the concept to me has always been like constructive confrontation. If you can figure out how to talk to your employees so they see it in their own benefit to make the change, it's better than A, saying nothing, or B, doing this top management you know, top-down management leadership approach of thou shalt do so-and-so because I'm telling you so because I'm your manager. That doesn't work in today's environment. The truth of the matter is, look, let's talk about what do these things look like? What is it that CEOs want? And how would we be graded? What would our most respected critics say about our team or our company in terms of how well we're doing this? And once you realize that if you can get good at this, This is a skill you take with you for the rest of your career, for as long as you work with me here or wherever else you go. But I will promise you one thing, you guys, when you are interviewed from prospective employers in the future, their question is going to be around what did you do to show your ability to deal with change effectively? Or how would people describe you as being agile or adaptable? You have to be able to give them real-time examples. This is the place right now. This is the workshop. Right. This is the place for you to make it safe to show those very, very kinds of skills in the work that you're doing. So again, I think it's all in the leadership and sitting around the campfire and having a really strong communication brand. When you're known for being that kind of person, as a leader, you can take that skill with you for the rest of your career. Well, another I want to look at then is having those regular conversations with other leaders about retaining good talent. You know, that is one that is on everybody's minds. And you already, we kind of set the stage of why that is. Certainly with nonprofit leaders, it's no different. It's a regular conversation, almost a daily conversation I have either with my own staff or with those who I talk to who are nonprofit leaders. So let's talk first, the employee burnout issue, which is one of the issues that's related to retainment, of course. I mean, I feel like it's an occupational hazard almost for nonprofit leaders. But first of all, your solution, how do you prevent employee burnout? You talk about it. So, so here's my background. I know I keep going back to the same thing, but, but seriously, to me, Rob, this is really the critical piece of leadership. So earlier in my career, I worked for City of Hope, which is a nonprofit healthcare oncology hospital, both for their supporting their development team and their on-campus medical team. For the last five years, until I opened my consulting firm, I was the chief human resources officer of the Motion Picture and Television Fund which is a healthcare nonprofit that services the need of entertainment industry retirees. So it's basically a retirement facility. Plus, we have social workers throughout the, throughout the area in Los Angeles. The fact is, yeah, nonprofit people are feeling very, very burned out, but so are their for-profit peers. What's going on in this world right now doesn't distinguish between if you're for-profit or nonprofit. The, diff- the difference is this, though. We know we look at our social workers, our social people that are out there in the community. And what is so hard is the members of the community are having such a hard time. So with Motion Picture and Television Fund, for example, we've had these strikes. 
So now you've got the WGA, the Writers Guild, you got SAG after the Screen Actors Guild. They're on strike. People need money. People are worried about their homes. People are worried about their mortgages. What do you do? How can you be there when you constantly feel like you're being inundated by all these people who are grabbing pieces of your hem, of, of your cloth, so to speak? They're grabbing your, your clothes and saying, I need your help. I need your help. And it's hard for us to find that balance ourselves. So again, when it comes to retaining people, you have to make it safe to be able to talk about these things. Historically, we, we've not been very good at that. It's like, do your job. That's why you're getting paid. I don't think that's the right brand of leadership anymore. You need more empathy. You need more awareness. Whether you call it soft skills, whether you call it emotional intelligence, the point is it's that ability to bond with people and help them make themselves vulnerable in a healthy way where they can say, Rob, truthfully, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I normally don't like to say that to my boss, but I am. And I need your help. Maybe other members of the team who can help me out. To the point, Rob, where, right, you're having staff meetings and you hold the meeting and you just say, it's time to check in to see how everybody's doing. You guys can come and see me one-on-one -on -one if you need to. But if anyone needs help where we can all pitch in, we've got one another's backs. These are tough times. We recognize it. We want to make sure that we're all doing our best work every day with peace of mind. But the way we're going to get you there is to make sure that you know that you're not in this alone. And then I can have that meeting with my direct reports and then ask them to have that meeting with their extended reports, you know, that kind of thing. And then our whole team is humming or our whole company is humming because we're all there for one another. Like it. That's good. Well, in addition to burnout, another big challenge that seems to have become exponentially more difficult since COVID is staff turnover. In your work again, what have you found is where are people going and why are they leaving? The main difference now, you know, historically, when I would do my lectures or I teach at UCLA, I go over the stuff and it's like, look, the, the number four reason for leaving is more money because historically that's where it's been, right? It's really more, they want communication, they want recognition, they, they want to feel accepted. Those are the reasons people stay. And if they don't get that, they're going to leave. But money was usually kind of a, yeah, they say money because they don't want to really tell us what's going on. If someone loves their boss, they're not leaving for 15 or 20% more because they risk going to someone who spits fire and throws chairs, right? So it's usually not the money, but they'll use that as the excuse. They don't really want to talk about it. But I think today we have to be careful about really where we are with money. Since COVID, a lot of people have talked about, you know, the great resignation or someone like me, the gray resignation. I'm an older person who said, hey, I want to open my own consulting firm. I've been in HR for 30 years and I want to do my own thing. But the reality becomes, the money has become really critical. So the smart thing to do is do an audit to see if your people are being paid competitively because the fact is everyone's working as hard as they possibly can. And if they feel some sort of resentment about the fact that I'm not being compensated fairly, that could be something that leads to turnover, even if they love their boss and they love their organization because there are other organizations that have great missions out there too but you've got to make sure your pay is competitive. Now it's the first time I'm saying that in three decades, but it really is where we are in the cycle right now economically. That's really good to know. Okay, in 30 years, that, that says a lot. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? 
There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is www.DonorBox.org. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in 7 Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Okay, another critical topic, surviving layoffs and position eliminations. You know, layoffs and position eliminations can be demoralizing to an organization, demoralizing to the culture, but there are times where an organization's declining budget just requires you know, one or both approaches. So how does a leader successfully navigate through these two potential pitfalls? With a lot of humanity and great communication. So, so here, here's, here's where I come from, Rob. First of all, as an HR guy, I've had to lay off a lot of people and terminate a lot of people over the years in different companies. People primarily know me as the former CHRO of Nickelodeon. That, that was, I was in the entertainment space, but I was also in the healthcare and biotech space. And what I would tell people is, first of all, don't terminate on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock. Terminate early in the day and early in the week because people need access. They have questions and they're frightened. The other thing is don't come from judgment. When I terminate someone for cause or lay them off, I usually tell them, look, I'm your concierge. I will help you with whatever you need. If you need help with your unemployment application or your COBRA materials, call me. I'll help you with your resume, your LinkedIn profile. We can do an interview role play. Whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. I just want you to know that. What that does is it lets them walk out feeling like they can heal. Yeah, they're not happy, but they feel like the company handled it. My boss was cool or the HR people were good about it. And they can go on. The, the problem with workplace revenge, so to speak, is it either comes in a lawsuit or God forbid it comes early Monday morning in the form of you know some kind of violence. That's because people feel like they were stripped of their dignity and humiliated when they were most vulnerable. And you want to make sure that you're creating the right and certain circumstances so that people can heal and get on in their lives. The other follow-up is you've got to meet with your team and talk about this so they can have closure and they can heal. It's like, you know, you don't want to give away too much information from a privacy standpoint. You're not going to say, oh, Paul Falcone was terminated today. You're not going to do that. But you can say, Paul is no longer with us. And so we're going to start a recruitment campaign to backfill the job. In the meantime, I'm going to ask everyone to step up to help share some of those responsibilities. And I want you all to give some thought to any aspects of Paul's responsibilities that you're particularly interested in. So you can use this as an opportunity for your own professional development and career development. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. For right now, I want to let you guys know, he was handled with grace, with a lot of respect, and we wish him well. And I want you all to think good thought. And don't be afraid if he calls you to say hello, you're more than welcome to say hi and check in and see how he's doing. None of that stuff. It's full transparency. And as, as far as we could, everybody, we handle this as respectfully and politely as we could. That allows teams to heal, Rob. That, then they can say, you know what? It kind of is terrible that the layoff happened or the termination happened, but at least they handled it well. And people think if it ever happens to me, they'll probably handle it likely, likewise, just as well. So that's what we'd hope for. That's a great approach. And have you seen a situation where 
say there is a series of layoffs and no matter how well it's been handled, it, it does like it's blow after blow. And then the organization starts really struggling with morale to the point where then it really becomes then eventually a toxic environment. Even if the HR and or the CEO did the best job they could, you know, with some of these laying offs and, and position eliminations, have you seen that? And, and if so, how do you prevent that? How do you prevent just the sheer fact that the company organization is getting smaller, people are leaving, and there's just this sense of this is the Titanic sinking here, and I don't want to be the last one on the ship, so to speak. Yeah, and that's real. You know, when I wrote the book, there's a little story behind this book, if I can. So the first time management is a book that came out in the 1980s, and it sold 500,000 copies. It's in its seventh edition. Collins has decided they want to make a, an umbrella series underneath it. So I'm writing a book called The First Time HR Manager. Someone else is writing a book called The First Time Sales Manager, whatever, right? But what they said to me was, we said, Paul, we want you, before you do that book on The First Time HR Manager, can you create something that can pair with all the other books? Like you can have it as a, yeah, I'm buying the book on being a first time sales manager, but I also want this other book. What would it be? Could you give that some thought? And I said, I don't have to think about it. I've got the answer. And they said, why? And I said, leading through crisis. And they said, really? And I said, everybody I know, I mean, it's disruption galore out there. Everyone I know is exhausted. To a degree, they're frightened. They're a bit resentful. We're coming out of COVID, but we're still suffering from so many of these things. And we know we've got at least a few more years before things really start to stabilize. We need to make it safe for managers to have a go-to playbook, what I always call a guiding hand and a handy guide, so that they feel like someone's got their back. And I think that's kind of where we go with this stuff to me, Rob. I think no matter what aspect you're looking at, whether it's the talent running from your company, the turnover issues, OMG, our company is getting smaller. Well, guess what? I come from the entertainment industry. It's been having problems since 2000 because they've had problems monetizing the internet. And now they have these strikes because they don't know what to do with their image and likeness issues when it comes to, you know, chat GPT. And wait, if it's going to learn for me how to use my accent to do blah, 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 they've got to pay me for that, darn it. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I get it. But it's not just entertainment. It's newspapers. It's traditional book publishers. There's so many industries out there that are having challenges. Nonprofit certainly goes through these, these types of issues too. So it's like, you can't use that as a blanket excuse. The extremes that we're seeing right now is you're either in like, you know, healthcare or biotech or high tech where you're working so, so hard, it's hard not to get a heart attack, or you're working in an industry that's really kind of imploding a little bit. And that's just where we are in this cycle coming out of COVID. COVID exacerbated a lot of it. But we still need to keep that perspective and, again, help your employees see from the 30,000-foot view, where is the value in this? Even if we do get laid off, all of us, what can we add to our resume or to our LinkedIn profile to talk about how well we manage this portion of our careers? And all of a sudden, it's a career development talk that says, hey, listen, if I'm the guy they, they selected to close the lights at the very, very end of the day, that speaks to my trust that speaks to my ability to accommodate even when I know it's going to hurt me, but to make good on the company's needs. You know, you start talking to them at that higher level, they rise to the occasion fairly easily, but they need the script. They don't teach this in MBA school or, or they don't teach this in the corporate classroom. The back of the book, the new book, The Leading Through Crisis says, this is everything that management training never taught you <laughs> because we don't have the time to teach in that level of detail. 
But if you can give them the words, they can customize it and make it their own and then come from the wisdom. Oh, that's good. Well said. All right. Well, leadership brand. So talk about that. How do you build your leadership brand when it feels like a crisis? When the company is starving for talent, they're laying off masses of workers almost at the same breath. So yeah, talk about how you, it's kind of related to what you just said, but it really comes back to leadership brand, right? And the experience within the organization. So what would you say about that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there's so many different kinds of leadership, but one of the types of leadership I always recommend people give thought to is what I call turnaround leadership. If you're a turnaround leader, it means that they can give you a problematic team, a problematic department, a problematic division, and within three to six months or blah, 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 you know, you're going to turn that all around. That people are going to get re-engaged, that things are going to start working again. No drama. That's a good prism to see things through. Because I think when it comes to, as an executive coach, Rob, I'll tell people, you know, first question, would you want to work for you? And it's like, well, I mean, that's a hard question, Paul, sometimes, right? Or the question is, if the whole company followed your lead in terms of behavior and conduct, would you be happy with where you took it? But that level of career inspection is really what they need to think about. That's what coaching is about, right? It's about teasing answers out of them that they probably didn't spend enough time thinking about because no one ever asked them about them. But the reality is your brand is, Paul, if your most respected critic, finish the sentence. Oh, I know Paul Falcone. He's, what would the, half, the second half of that sentence be? Or if your most respected critic said, give me three adjectives to describe Paul Falcone, what would they be? Or is, is it Paul Falcone and or Paul Falcone but? In other words, I know Paul Falcone, he's a great performer and everyone enjoys working with him and he's a great you know, resource and he's role model leadership. Or is it, well, I know Paul Falcone, I've known him for a long time, but he doesn't get along with others. He's not able to foster trust in his peers and he tends to put people down. He's a little bit more con- con- confrontational. I've even heard people use the word toxic. You know, this, is, this conversation though needs to happen at the manager level in the, in the staff meeting or with the manager and the employee at the one-on-one level meeting. It's called the leader as coach model. You want managers to really start thinking about how do I become that resource? And the final thing, Rob, if I can say, we know that Gen Y millennials, the 45 and under crowd, and Gen Z Zoomers, the 25 and under crowd, are the most studied generational cohorts in world history. We just know everything about them. And in survey after survey after survey, they keep coming up with a top five. And one of those top five is career and professional development. And if we know that that's really what they want, the smart employers are going to tune into that. And they're going to say, you know what? How do I do this for my people? Forget about what we were doing in the past. COVID was like a line in the sand. It gives us a chance to reinvent ourselves and start anew. How do we become that going forward? Because that aligns everything. All of a sudden, you're not so worried about the turnover. You're not so worried about the retention. That solves itself. And then the employee engagement increases as well. Good stuff. Well, with this book, Leading Through Crisis, what's your ultimate message in this book? And what would you like readers to walk away with? It's easier than we think. And that's my message. Maya Angelou, the famous American poet, said, people may not remember what you said, and people may not remember what you did, but people will always remember how you made them feel. And that's found its way into my writing in so many, in so many different ways. And my exercise that I do a lot, Rob, is I talk to teams, groups, departments, companies, whatever, and I say, tell me about your favorite boss. And don't tell me who it was or what company, but what made that person your favorite boss? And up go the hands. 
And she always seemed to have my back. She made me feel like I belonged. My opinion was important to her. I always had a seat at the table. Up comes the next hand. Well, he seemed to challenge me to do things that I didn't even think I was ready for. He had more faith in me than I had myself at the time. Up comes the next hand. And, and my ultimate question is when you go through this, is this exercise, is are you describing the person's beingness or their doingness? In other words, are you describing who they are or are you describing what they did? Now, I know it's both, but which one really is the main driver? And they usually start with, well, it's doing this. It's what he did, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, someone says, well, wait a second. Maybe it was her, do- Maybe it was her beingness. Maybe it was who she was that made all those other things happen. And that's when you say, good, you just got 100 on the test. It's the beingness that makes you someone's favorite boss. It's character and it's caring. They need to respect you from a character standpoint. They need to know you care about them. And that's it. There's your magic formula. Now they give discretionary effort. Now they're innovative and creative. Now they're happy at work. There's a spirit of levity. There's an enlightenment, so to speak. They can joke a little bit more. They can feel safe. That whole idea of psychological safety, it all falls into this one little prism of becoming someone's favorite boss. Are you that? Think about who your favorite boss was. Are you paying that forward? And that will work with you through crises. That will work with you when it's remote versus on-site leadership. And that will work for you and to your benefit for the rest of your career. It'll help you scale your career. You may have four people now, and at some point that may be 40, and at some point it may be 400. But the reality is master it now while you're still in the role that you're in. And hopefully the organization that you're with is giving you that opportunity. Make sure you're keeping your boss up to date with what's going on and know to use the HR department if you're fortunate enough to have one. Know to use them as your resource. It's just a smart way to go about doing your career. It makes things a lot easier for everybody. And it makes you realize you don't have to keep doing, doing, doing. It's like we're always with the hair on fire chasing our tails. The reality is the best bosses come from being this. And that simple thought should make you exhale, let your shoulders fall a little bit, and realize all you really have to do is make the space for your employees to motivate themselves. And at that point, bingo. Now everybody loves working with you. You've got a great leadership brand and everything else falls into place. Well, the timing of your book is perfect. And again, Paul, for my listeners, how can people find out more about you, number one, and your book? Oh, thanks, Rob. Okay, well, first of all, my it's paulfalconehr.com if you want to go onto my website. So easy enough there. On LinkedIn, I'm Paul Falcone one And other than that, if you just type my name in, it's just Falcone. It's just like Falcon the bird with an E at the end of it. So it's Paul Falcone. It's Italian. And, but, you know, Barnes & Noble, HarperCollins, Amazon, obviously, all of my books will be found there. And again, the, the new book coming out next week is my 16th book. And I've already written the 17th book, which was the first time manager for HR people. That'll be out in the spring of 24. So they're keeping me busy these days. It's good. (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show and just share your insights. I think this is so practical, so relevant. Thank you again for taking time. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, 
Keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.